welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher, and I'm really, really excited for uh, today's guest. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Um, I've been looking to get him on this show for a while. I just didn't know what the heck we were going to talk about. And then we we decided we'd just talk about everything. Uh, we kind of have a focus today. His name is Justin Lassard. He is a mental health therapist. He's got a master's in psych- uh, psychology, and uh, he's a sessional professor at Concordia. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really good. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of struck up a, a like a friendship, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. I do mental health and and so do you. You obviously have a lot more uh, training and expertise and experience in uh, in like facilitating the actual tools that I am a liaison for. So I kind of, my role is to kind of point people towards people like you who actually Mm -hmm. know how to do the guts and glory of helping individuals. So we've had a lot of good conversations um, just over the phone. We just like to shoot the shit about (laughs) life in general. Yeah. And one thing popped up in our last conversation and that was emotional regulation. And it Mm -hmm. was something you mentioned and I wasn't really familiar with what it was, but I felt triggered and I felt... (laughs) I felt seen because I'm like, I'm a very emotional man and uh, I'm very passionate. I'm passionate about mental health. Lately, I, I've found it very toxic to be on social media. Um, I noticed that my mental health was slipping. I was becoming involved in more uh, negative conversations. I, was, I, I felt like I was provoking a little more than I would like to. Uh, I consider myself like a pretty compassionate, reasonable person. But I found myself on these different hills emotionally uh, when I was engaged in conversations or or debates, and I didn't I didn't like it. So I decided to take a step back, and that's when you and I chatted, mm-hmm. and uh, and you said, "Well, you know, this kind of ties into emotional regulation." So that's where I want to start today. I don't know if we'll end up there, but I think it's <laughs> I think I think it's relevant for a lot of people who are in a very emotional state right now, yeah. um, how we're dealing with one another and how we're dealing with the world on mass. So yeah. why don't you start just by dissecting what emotional regulation is and just kind of how, how it applies to, to everyday people. So I would, and like uh, everything I'm going to be talking about is going to be, you know, as accurate as I can be. Um, not everything is going to be definitive, you know, our understanding of, you know, our understanding of the brain and how it works is pretty minimal. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I heard a little discussion. It was, if we were trying to understand the brain and it was a mile long race, we are in 2016, we were two inches into that race. We like to think we know tons about how our brains work, um, but we just don't. So when I'm going over a bunch of stuff, I'm going to be as accurate as I can be. And so I, but it's not, none of this is definitive. So I just want to like, no, I like the, let's come at it from a very like humble place then. Cause this, mm-hmm. you know, like this podcast is more about unpacking ideas. The discussion to me is just as important as the content. And kind of the how we come about uh, these ideas and these thoughts, but I, I appreciate the caveat because uh, yeah. that's important. We don't want it, uh, everybody to to take it as as gospel, but we want to yeah. just talk, talk about the concept. So where where does it come from? Okay, so when we think about emotional regulation, we're going to talk about. The, I'm going to use the term calm a lot. Okay, right. So when we think about when lots of people talk about emotional regulation, or when you see people on social media talking about, you know, how are you going to you know take care of yourself, or what's self care. And for a lot of people with self-care, it's it's mostly about taking pause and taking a break from how crazy everything is right now. But emotional regulation is when your body and your mind are in sync and they can work together to make you feel calm. Okay. You can so one thing that people like to talk about a lot is like a window of tolerance. So if you picture in your brain, you know, like two lines with something in the middle, that middle space is your calmness or your window of tolerance. That's when you are at your kind of best ability to function normally in society. And I use normally with like air quotes there, normally in society. When we're hyper aroused or we're really anxious or heightened or angry, we're not really able to make a lot of the rash discussions that we like to do. And a good example of that is, so when you're having a discussion, like a heated discussion with a friend and it's going back and forth and it kind of like digresses or you move on or one person gives in or whatever. And then you go home and you're in the shower. And then when you're showering, you're like, damn, that would have been a really good argument. That would have been a really good piece of that discussion to add to that. 
And what happens is that when we're arguing and we're in conflict with people, we move into hyperarousal. And what happens is that our emotional center of our brain, our yeah, our emotional center of our center of our brain kicks in and it takes over our ability to be rational. Yeah, that that happens to me quite often. It must it must happen to everybody quite often. Where in the heat of the moment, you kind of lose lose the plot. Um, mm-hmm. I guess is a is a common saying, right? Yeah. And without doing like any research into this uh, until like very recently, what I would try to do is remind myself what the end game of that conversation is. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, just point blank, is that an effective way of disarming that emotional response, or do you want to just tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really, I think that's a good way of looking at it, but it depends on how much, it depends how big the argument is, right? Okay. Like if, you know, if you and I are arguing about what the different, you know, what the best flavor of ice cream is, there's not a lot of steak in it, right? You know, or pineapple and pizza, you know, I know some people get heated about pineapple and pizza, but yes. you know, those are pretty like low stakes, but I'm talking, you know, when we're talking about like vaccines, for example, or we're okay. talking about vaccine passports for a lot of people, these ideas are entrenched in their identity. And so when you have an idea that's counter to your identity or to your social narrative, like that's really tough. So let's, let's back it up like one more mm-hmm. step. So how do we tie certain ideas to our identity? What, what is our identity and why are they, why is that important to us? I guess. So I, I'll, I'll preface that with like, I, I very much like narrative therapy. So this is like how we talk about social narratives and even personal narratives and how that impacts your livelihood. Right. Okay. Um, and so for a lot of people who they are is just a makeup of stories. Like when you think about a person growing up in their life, you know, they are simply a makeup of stories that have been told to them their whole life. So like that kid, so when we talk about things like self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, like yeah. you're like, that's, you know, in schools, you're like, that's a stupid kid. You know, he's not very smart or, you know, people talk like that, or they say like, oh, you're only getting 68s in class. And so what happens is like that story of I'm not intelligent, that, that, that becomes your identity. And so when people come out and they're like, well, actually that's not true. Your brain's not developed till you're 25. You have lots of room for growth and you can become, you know, an A student or a B student and you can get better people react negatively to that a lot of the time because you're really basically like ripping their story apart about who they are. And so when it comes to politics, you know, depending on which part of the political spectrum you sit, you're going to have like an identity tied to that. When people vote conservative, like they are conservative. You know what I mean? Like when they're like, I vote conservative because I am conservative. You know, I vote NDP because like I am NDP. And even like when people on the internet talk about, you know, the Trudeau cult or things like that, they're talking about yeah. those people that will blindly say and do whatever any of these political parties do. And I'm not going to try and target one party or another. Okay. I, might, I might a little bit, but the reality <laughs> is that like we all have these narratives and we're very emotionally tied to the story. That's why when we talk about, you know, white supremacy, for a lot of people that doesn't make a lot of sense to them because they're white and that's counter to their narrative. It's like, well, I'm not a white supremacist. And so right there, they're defensive. It's like, you are literally attacking my identity and who I am as a person. So where, where does that start? I mean, like you're, um, you're a teacher as well. Um, do you see it in kids in, in adolescence? Mm-hmm. Like when, when does that identity begin to form? Um, I guess like, that's a really broad question, but let's, (laughs) let's say politically, let's just stay on that, um, on that topic. So the morals and values that we attribute to a certain political party, wherever you are on that spectrum, I think we can view the party that you support as maybe morally superior. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that identity, like you, like you said, is, is inherently it's tied to you. I shouldn't say inherently. Because I'm asking you, like, when does it start? When does that uh, process kind of begin? I mean, how old are you when you go to church? Right? Like, your brain develops, the, like, the first eight, like, the, your brain from, like, age, like, from birth to five grows 80%. Like, 80% of your brain growth is from that time period. And so, we, I don't want to undervalue, like, that age range and how impactful it is to your identity. Right. And so, I mean, like, yeah, one to five. And then, like, five to 10, 12 is, like, further myelination. So like all those like little, your accents are just getting really, really good at certain things that you're engaging in. 
So I would say like your entire life though, because I don't, I don't want to dismiss the fact that people can change. Right. And make I different agree. choices. Yeah. But it's a lot of it has to do with your family. Big time. Okay. Yeah. So like we're products of our environment and our upbringing mm -hmm. and things like that. I think like that, that seems like common sense, but um, I'm glad you brought that up too, because my personal views have changed a lot over the mm -hmm. years. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my family, the patriarch of my family was my grandfather um, for many years. And he was a, he was a, a stout reformer, uh, progressive conservative. Yeah. Um, and we kind of, as a family, we kind of looked to him for our political leanings. Right. And as, as us grandkids got older, as the kids got older, we all started to branch away and kind of make our own decisions. But that, that was, I remember that being a very integral part of our political conversation as a family. Yeah. We all kind of did what, what grandpa did, right? Cause he yeah. knew a lot about it. He was involved. So when, when you see kids start to talk about politics and, and I, I feel like they're, um, they're exposed to it younger and younger oh, all yeah. the time, right? <laughs> oh yeah. They're way more engaged than we ever were. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so I, I see that as a double-edged sword because, um, with maturity, like I just said, like my, my views have changed as I've had some conversations, um, had personal experiences and I've, I've been able to, to change some of my views on the moral value sort of side of things. Right. Yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is like, where, where do people get stuck, um, with the identity narrative where, it, where that feeling of being personally attacked is more prevalent and where, where do you see people being able to change? their minds like who who are they and where do those people mm -hmm. come from you know yeah so there's as uh, a loaded question that's <laughs> super loaded we got time <laughs> yeah so first i want to address um some like our brains are very good at making quick decisions okay so when i talk about like our emotional center takes over the reason that happens is all our brain is trying to do is keep us safe it's all it tries to do right and it'll take, it'll do that like subconsciously, like you'll have no idea why it's doing it. That's why your brain handles breathing. It does not trust you to keep breathing. You don't have to think about breathing. You just breathe. It's a super great perk. But when it comes to like other aspects, like when we talk about anxiety or anger, it completely mm -hmm. takes over because all it's trying to do is make sure that you're safe. And that's your fight, flight, freeze response. Does that tie into like negative negativity bias as well? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I just read a really um, fantastic article about it and uh, like just how ingrained it is in us. And uh, it's a protective measure, kind of like what you alluded to, mm -hmm. um, that we're more drawn to, you know, negative situations. You know, you can't yeah. look away from a train wreck mm -hmm. um, because it's to, you know, implement something in our brain to protect us in the future. Yeah. The, yeah. It, and that's exactly it. So like even when, I, I know like I've, I've read a lot on like cringing, you know, when you're like sitting around brushing your teeth and your brain takes you to the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened in your life hmm. and you just sit there and you cringe. Right. Yeah. But all, but that's a defense mechanism against social segregation because your brain's going, don't do that again. That's embarrassing. And we right. don't want to be weird. Like considered weird. I should say, yeah. Yeah. because then we'll be ostracized. And we know like COVID has highlighted, like what happens to a society when you're isolated. Right. And so our brain will always like, I remember the most embarrassing moment of my life vividly. Yeah, me too. But if you asked me to walk you through my wedding day, which is one of the happiest days of my life, I couldn't tell you, I could give you snippets, right? But your brain is hardwired for negativity. And so that's why when people are like, well, just think positive and like, you can just change your thoughts. It's like, that's great. But my brain literally is focused over here. And until I'm able to acknowledge the emotion that's driving that or the situation that's driving that, it's really tough. So what do we do then? Like, do we just give in and be like, we're, we're kind of inherently negative <laughs> and uh, let's, let's move on to coping mechanisms to deal with that. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like I, I'm in therapy and, and we do a lot of unpacking of emotions mm -hmm. um, from my childhood and inner child stuff and things like that, yeah. um, which has been really helpful. At least it gives me a perspective of why I was so emotionally attached to trauma, um, mm -hmm. to, you know, things that happened with my parents, mm -hmm. my early twenties. And I, I, I identify as like an emotional person, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm beginning to question that now in the sense that maybe I was just kind of relenting 
a little bit and kind of giving in to the emotions and mm. not giving myself enough credit that, you know what, maybe I have a little more control over them. And, yeah. uh, you know, there, uh, a good friend of mine did a podcast on thought work mm. and, uh, mindset management. And she really kind of opened my eyes on some of this control work. Now, what I'm worried about, Justin, is repression. <laughs> yeah. So, so re regulation is one thing. Repression, I feel like, is a negative because uh, yeah. you don't you don't want to repress emotion, mm -hmm. um, but you want to use it constructively. So, yeah. I I feel like we're moving forward here. But wh what are the tools that we can use <laughs> in real time to to regulate without repressing and having to walk away completely? Um. So I like to think of emotional regulation and emotional intelligence go hand in hand. They have to coexist. Okay. Cause if, cause I'll ask people like, how do you feel right now? And they'll say fine. Or they'll say good. Yeah. They have no idea how they feel. And so if you don't know how you feel, that's kind of really, it's really tough to actually regulate yourself through what that emotion is. And then yeah. if I don't know how I'm feeling, I don't know what's tied to that emotion. Because what are you fine about? Or are you actually are you actually repressed? And that's why you're fine. Because mm -hmm. having any emotion other than fine is unacceptable to you. Because the status quo in our society is fine, right? Like you look at any any woman that goes off on the internet, you know, she's being outlandish, she's being crazy. I just did a lesson about mental health and history. And most of the big things that have happened in history with mental health have been targeted against women who have been emotionally intelligent and express themselves. And so a lot of it is even with men, think about how men who are more emotionally intelligent are usually persecuted a lot more for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And the only acceptable emotion is fine or angry, but only if a man is angry, because then if a woman's angry, they're hysterical. God, I hate that word. Well, it's riddled with like tons of issues, right? Yeah, you're right, though. And it's uh, <laughs> I there are a lot of rabbit holes we could go down here. Yes, um, that's a that was a loaded that was a loaded statement. <laughs> super loaded. I love it. I think I think our last phone chat lasted about an hour because we just kept tangenting and tangenting. But but you're you're the type of like health professional that I think a lot of people need to hear from because you're very frank. Um, you do speak with, with knowledge of this stuff, but you also put it in a way that's kind of layman, like real, real terms. And it, it makes sense. Um, there's just a lot to it. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, like I'm sitting here a little bit overwhelmed because I, <laughs> because I'm the one supposed to be asking you questions and I'm like, mm -hmm. there's so much to unpack here. Clearly we can't solve the world's problems in an hour podcast, but <laughs> Um, I, I want to try and stay in the vein of like social interactions, especially yeah. social media, because it's pertinent to me personally right now, because I'm in this flux of trying to regulate myself. And, and, um, but w at the same time, I'm like, I'm really passionate about certain issues. Yeah. I'm passionate about having certain conversations so that I can learn. And, uh, I, I've been, I've stuck my neck out and I've been slapped a few times, yeah. um, and you know, sometimes rightfully so. Uh, mm -hmm. And other times I'm like, uh, I'm unsure that, that it was, you know, I was just trying to, to learn or to put out a viewpoint that deserves some discussion. So where, where are we at right now with COVID discussions and vaccine discussions? We'll just stick with those two okay. topics because they're so top of mind. I know mm -hmm. everyone's sick of hearing about it. <laughs> um, but these, conver these conversations seem to have stalled, right, Justin? Like they... Yeah you know, you have one flag on one hill and, and a flag on the other, and they're just screaming at each other. Mm -hmm. um, what would be the best approach? I don't care what you believe in um, to kind of regulate and get some productivity out of these discussions. I'll, I'll address a couple things. Sure. So the first one is people, when, we, when I talk about emotional regulation, I don't talk about repression. Emotional regulation is more like if you watch the show Avatar, the last airbender, it's like airbending. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, okay. There's just like crazy thing. And I actually, any type of bending, actually the yeah. best, like, maybe the best example is fire bending. You take this like wild, wicked thing and you're able to control it and do what you want with it. And that's like right. the nerdiest thing I'll say today, but is it's, so it's not about, do I get rid of this emotion? It's more, can I understand this emotion and can I understand where it's coming from? Right. And then, and then be able to go, okay, but like, okay, mind and body, we're okay. Everything's okay. You know, I know a lot of people, 
are tired of hearing like deep breathing and regulating in that fashion. But it's, it's, there's a lot of great science and they've been doing it for millennia, right? Like right. deep breathing is rooted in tons of different religions that have existed for centuries. And deep breathing is all about triggering your vagus nerve. Okay. What is and that? That's, so that's a major nerve that goes from your brain throughout your entire body. And okay. when we deep breathe, uh, there's other tricks, but deep breathing is the essential one because you can't really go run in a conversation. Be like, wait, I'm going to go pour cold water on my hands and my face and then come back. Right. But deep breathing triggers that nerve to reverberate through your body and calm you down. So in a uh, physiological sense, yes. um, that's kind of like square one where you can start to um, you know, change how your body's reacting, which I'm yeah. assuming will change how your brain is reacting in the words that pour out of your mouth in the middle of a heated Twitter thread or something like that. The other thing is that regulation doesn't happen in isolation. So for example, I'll use, I'm going to use my life as an example. Um, mm -hmm. So my wife and I, when we get into arguments, it is on the other person who's more regulated to help regulate the other person. No, oh, you like, you've already pre-established this, like this is a, Okay. Oh, yeah. In our mental in our mental health journey, right? Because think about any fight that happens with a couple, with a sibling, with a friend, with someone on the internet. Two people disagree. It usually starts out pretty civil. And then slowly what happens is it just becomes more and more chaotic. Yeah. And then you're not even fighting about the thing that you're trying to discuss. You're just being emotional, both of you. Mm -hmm. And even the person who is like trying to be the good one, who's like, I'm just not going to say anything. The, the term in psychology is called stonewalling. Because if I don't say anything, I maintain power in that conversation. So doing nothing is just as much a problem than being an aggressor. I've been in this situation and I've caught myself in real time, not always uh, by any means, but I've caught myself in real time to step back and try to disarm kind of that... Um, that amplification, right? Mm -hmm. And the other person is still in like a, a highly emotional state. Maybe I, I said something that triggered them or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and they look at me as taking this moral high ground as like a virtual yeah. signal. Mm -hmm. Like I entrapped them into mm -hmm. looking bad mm -hmm. um, be because a second ago I was doing the same thing, right? I was just yeah. the first to point it out. Um, I would really love some advice for that because in my heart of hearts, like I, I am trying to do what you're talking about. I'm trying to deescalate. Um, and, and people have done it to me too. And I've come back with this reaction is like, oh, you just, you're just you making yourself look good, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So what, what happens in that situation? Like what, what do you do? So the, there has to be an acknowledgement of the emotion that's taken over, you know? Okay. Okay. Like, and, and that's where it's two people. It's not just one person regulating, like there's a conversation and this takes a lot. And like, we're going to talk about this and I'm going to mm -hmm. say this, but this stuff takes tons of work. You know, you're not going to get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. Like, it takes a tons of practice to get to a place where the other person who's like, okay, maybe I've deescalated a little bit and you and I are fighting. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, Chris, how, like, how are you feeling right now? And you're still like escalated. Right. And then we can have, I go, is this maybe not about the, is this maybe not about what we were talking about anymore? Like, are we not in a place to have this conversation anymore? Right. And then if you say yes, if you agree, cause you consent to like, yeah, maybe we're not in a place to have this conversation. And I can go, okay. What's going to work best for both of us to go and get regulated, you know? And if you and I are friends, it's like, well, how about, how about we just take a fight, like a go for a five minute break and we're okay right. in five minutes. So there's a time. So we have a timer, we can transition, we can breathe. You can go for a walk. I can go listen to some heavy music. Yeah. Right. And sing and get all that energy out. And then we can come back and talk about the thing that is what needs to be discussed. Do you think sometimes people go into these conversations with an agenda that yeah. doesn't that doesn't line up with um, kind of what's what's put out there? So they they mean to be mean um, for the sake of it. It's not to make a point or to change your mind or to have something productive. Yeah, like a sea lion on Twitter, basically. Yes. Who's sure. just like yeah? <laughs> who's just like going in asking questions to just provoke you, basically? Just poking the bear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like obviously, like trolls have existed as long as you know we have existed, right? And the issue around trolls is that people want to, especially on the internet, people want to engage with them and see if they can like change the troll or tame the troll or yeah. When a lot of people who I follow on social media and what my best practice is always just report block and leave it. Mm -hmm. These people don't add anything to the conversation. 
These people don't want to add anything to the conversation. Their whole intention is to get something out of you. And those people, that's where we go, okay, we're done here. Uh, but those aren't the people I'm really talking about. I'm more talking like when we are having like a civil discourse, like even within your family, right? Like, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up in a month. That's right. going to be interesting for a lot of people. Yes. And so when you're, when your uncle's coming and he's having this conversation, this is where it's tough because if you're the emotionally regulated one and you're the one who's like trying to have a conversation and they're not engaged in that regulation, it's impossible because sure you can regulate you, but they have to also be like, can, like they also have to agree to regulation. And that's where when I talk about stonewalling, it's not healthy, but if you're doing something to protect yourself, you're like, you know what, we can't have this conversation anymore. I'm I'm gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna back out of this conversation. That's an acceptable thing, especially if you can walk out of it regulated. And you're like I'm happy with the decision I made, because that's you setting good boundaries. Which is right. I guess another like I guess we'll add a sub note to this whole conversation is that we as a society suck at boundary setting. I would agree, hundred percent. And being like you are attacking me verbally, and it's okay for me to put myself and my own like mental health, my own physical health above this conversation above you right right like think of all those people that go into conversations where they really want to have like a good conversation on the vaccine it's like i really want to talk about it and i'm and i'm here and i want to listen to you and then it's like you know they'll track you with it they'll right it gets you sick it you know it has all these effects it'll kill you and you're like okay well let's talk about those let's deconstruct those let's like yeah. look at evidence but they're so the thing about and I guess I'm going to go after it. The thing about a lot of extreme sides of these spectrums, you know, like full on vaccinations, like mandated vaccines, everyone has to get it. Yeah. And, you know, the anti-vax movement is they're also not equatable arguments. And I think we sometimes forget that sometimes there are opinions that are just not equatable to the other. How do you get that message across though? Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's sure not clear in the mind of somebody who is on, on clearly one end of that spectrum. Yeah. And like Justin, like I want to empathize with mm -hmm. the fact that people come, come to certain ideas. They, they beat their own path or like they're, they're a product of so many factors to end up in a place where they're like, you know what, this is the hill that I want to die on. This mm -hmm. is how I feel today. And I'll defend it up and down. I'm curious to know how, like, I want to know what that journey was like. Mm -hmm. I'm really, I, I really want to unpack some of that because like, frankly, I've had a lot of conversations that go nowhere, but yeah. the ones where I ask how you came about that idea seem to be more productive. At least they disarm and, and kind of move away from some of the emotional ties to the idea itself, but just like, tell me about your journey. who who kind of put this bug in your ear? Was it your uncle or your brother or your girlfriend or whatever? It seems to be a more productive way to get to the root of the idea. Yeah. Like if I had a person who said they were vaccine hesitant, right? And I go, and I go, why are you like, what makes you vaccine hesitant? Can I help you with that? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying like, that's bad. You're bad. You know, everything, like everything you say from here on out is bad. You know, there's a person who has legit and it's fear. It's legitimate right. fear. And I think we sometimes move away from that. It's like, it is a fear and they don't have control over that fear because their body just does it. Mm -hmm. And yes, yes, maybe they have misinformation. Of course they do. But there are risks to vaccines, just like there's risks to anything in life. Like I can get in my car, which is super safe and something can happen to me still. Right. Just like a vaccine. You know, like there is legitimate fear and like there are people who don't get a car because they're scared of driving. Are we hammering on them? Usually we're celebrating those people. They're like, oh yeah, you're not like contributing to global warming or climate change. That's right. great. But with people with vaccine hesitancy, it's like, well, you're not in my camp. And that's the other thing. It comes down to some aspects of tribalism and also split thinking, which human beings are really bad at. So what is split thinking? What does that mean? So it's all or nothing. So it's all one way or all the other way. Okay. And I can't like I can't even blame people for that because our edu education system promotes split thinking. Right. Right. Like it's either all A or all B. It's either all this or all that. We had a really good conversation about that the last time we chatted. Um, yeah. And how important critical thinking 
should be in our education system from a young age. It should be taught and reinforced. And you made a point of saying it's taught out of kids. Um, yeah. So they they are inherently curious. Uh, mm -hmm. If they if they love something, they'll dive into it and master mm -hmm. it and love it. Um, yeah. And that's taught that kind of enjoyment and, and and passion and creativity is taught out of kids to to conform into um, this split thinking, right? Like we had, this is right and this is wrong. So make your mm -hmm. choice. Yeah. Um, going to university is the good thing. Not going to university is bad. Yeah. You know, teachers will hang hang that carrot over kids' heads. It's like, well, if you don't go to university, you know, you're not a good kid. Mm -hmm. That's not, we, we know that's not true. Right. And so kids are already being taught, like there's one good way and there's one bad way. And then what happens is that if you're in the bad camp, your community is in the bad camp. Like, like you are, like when we can continue to promote exiling people, all they have left are other exiles. And what right. exiles do, they just fester. And they build their own exiled community because we need to find, you know, commonality. And if they're, uh, if they're on the outside with other outsiders, that's who they're mm -hmm. going to join with. And I think we're seeing that. I think that kind of encompasses what we're seeing right now with, uh, with society being so fractured. There's a really good documentary on Netflix called um, Behind the Curve. It's about flat earthers. I've seen it. Yeah. It was really interesting. It's very good. And at the very end of it, he goes up to the guy who's like the head of the flat earth global community. Yep. And he's like, do you have any doubts? And he goes, well, even if I did, where do I go? I am a flat earther. Even if I leave the flat earth community, no one will accept me because I was a flat earther. And that's the belief, right? Yeah. Even with the anti-vax people, it's like, even if you can convince them with science and stuff, even if you can convince them with all of this, where do they go? They're already, they already feel ostracized. And that's the thing is like, when we look at the anti-vax community, a lot, like a lot of that makeup we can put into like other categories, like categories of like subcultures in our societies where they're already exiled. Right. Like it's not your, you know, it's not the people who are going about their days who are in like a major anti-vax thing. And I'm taught, I'm not talking to people that are hesitant because of, you know, those reasons you can have those conversations. I'm talking yeah. to the people that are staunch, like they're going and protesting outside of hospitals and blocking stuff. Right. Uh, okay. So you kind of hit on the, the compassionate part of me because I, I do believe in change. I've changed my mind many times. Mm -hmm. uh, and I look back with regret on, on viewpoints and things that I've said, can't go back and change the past, but all that I want in that moment when I, when I do have my mind changed is to be accepted uh, moving forward. And mm -hmm. I, it's, it's tough to practice there. There are obviously exceptions, uh, and caveats to, to what I'm about to say, but I feel like it would be nice if we kind of embraced people and gave them a safe space to change, to let mm -hmm. them know that like, you know, you've, you've thought wrong for a long time, but, um, you know, you've kind of come around, let's move forward. Um, but as human beings, I know it's not that simple. And there are some things that are fairly unforgivable and that changes for the, every individual. How do we kind of embrace, um, the idea of change and give people a sense that without being too, um, confrontational to say like, Hey, if you choose your mind from this evidence that I showed you, you have a, an ally in me, like, don't worry about being ostracized. How do you, how do you go about that? Cause like, it, it sounds nice, but it's so yeah, it's complicated. Not they're coming at it from an emotional perspective. Like we know that all this conspiracy theory stuff, we know that all of this is fueled by emotion. Mm -hmm. like it is an emotion that they're tapping into. And most of the time it's fear. Yeah. These things are deeply, like these are deeply rooted things. And mm -hmm. so when you talk to people again, and this is where it's like, I want to be an intelligent, like have an intellectual conversation. But as soon as there's an emotion tied to it, that's gone. Right. That's why I say like, when we're arguing, you're going back to the shower. And like, you might feel bad later for what you did. You know, like you're like on the internet and you're like, bah! and you come back, well, I was an asshole. Yeah. But you're an asshole on the internet so much easier because there's no view of the harm that you cause. Right. I don't see you getting upset. Yeah. I think that's a big problem too. And, uh, you know, I see it all the time. Like uh, you look at what some people say and you're like, there's no way they would ever say that to someone's face. And that's, that's a big issue with social media is that it's just there's there's that extra level of disconnect mm -hmm. um and and there's a, a there's a, words are so powerful so many different ways to say things and uh 
euphemisms and metaphors. The impact of like just words is is kind of lost. And it, I read stuff. It it affects me. Like I've oh, been yeah. I've been devastated by some of the things that have been said. Uh, like not just about me, but you know, about me, about others on the internet. And, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to regulate that emotion. That's for sure. I've had to just shut down. I've just had to walk yeah. away, which kind of, I wanted to get back to something in that tangent about walking away, about worrying about you. So you're, you're having an out, uh, you're like, I'm in a bad place mentally. Uh, this isn't good for my mental health. I'm choosing to walk away. I feel like there's a little more complexity to that because if you're arguing about something important, um, mm -hmm. so if somebody is trying to argue for white supremacy or arguing for misogyny in some way, and you're really amped up about that because you know it's wrong, it's morally wrong, and you want to fight the good fight, but it's wrecking you, are you doing a disservice to advocacy by walking away? Like, Where's the line where you're like, I have to worry about me before the greater good of making sure this person knows that they're wrong about this really polarizing subject like where how do you how do you kind of uh, reconcile that yeah i think that's really tough because i come from a place of immense privilege right mm -hmm. you know, as a white cis heterosexual man i have i have the capacity in more ways to remove myself from the good fight okay interesting it yeah it doesn't it doesn't impact me as much right like when when students were talking about, you know, being subjugated to racism, you know, homophobia, that's what, like, that's what drove me out of teaching was the fact that there's so many kids who were fighting the good fight that because their necks are on the line and you are going to fight all the time. And at some point, if things aren't changing, if, if people aren't listening, if it doesn't become like you stop fighting in that moment. It goes, well, where can I go? How can I get better change? Where can I get better change? Right. Because yelling at the wall does nothing, but it's more about, can I get into, a, can we get into places where, or talk to people who are in positions to make good change? Cause there are, and like the average person would love to make better changes for society. And I think that's where this becomes really difficult. And I was going to highlight that even with emotional regulation, is that this is like, we like to place it on the individual. This is a societal problem, right? No, we don't teach emotional regulation. We don't teach emotions to people. Yeah. We don't want people to be emotional. We, that's, that's the bottom line. If people are acting in a certain way, we tell them they're too emotional. All these kids. Why though? Like, why do we do that? Why, why is it beneficial to tell somebody to just be fine or be quiet? <laughs> uh because you're a more complicit worker. If I don't complain about being subjugated to harm, then it's great for my employer. If I don't complain about like the need for more like vacation days, even though we know that it's better for productivity, mm -hmm. then I don't have to change anything. If I'm advocating for, you know, hey, racism is pretty problematic and it affects me immensely. Yeah. You know, then I don't have to change anything. If everyone's just complicit, then the status quo main is maintained. But as you, if you allow people to be like, people are enraged right now, right? Like they're absolutely enraged, you know, like, and people have been enraged for a long time, but social media has just amplified a lot of it. It's incredible. It's, yeah. it's really humbling. I mean, to, it's, it's one thing to get caught up in it, uh, which, which I certainly have. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's another to, you know, talk about it objectively, like you and I right now. I don't, I don't know what word to use anymore. Like it's frightening. Yeah. Uh, it's disheartening. It's really it makes you question kind of where we're going. And when you yeah. start to get into that macro sense, Justin, like it's, it's super overwhelming because you mm -hmm. like you're one person and I'm one person. Um, and you know, there's however many people listening to this conversation and that feels like all the influence that we get, you know, like how many years are you going to reach? Are we going to reach today compared to none? And if one person goes home and goes, you know what? Maybe I need to go to therapy about this emotional regulation thing. Maybe I can't just keep hiding behind the term fine. Because again, I'm going to go back. A lot of these people who are in conspiracy theories and like they're involved in the anti-vax movement, they're against vaccine passports. They're angry. They're sad. They're overwhelmed people. They're just mad and overwhelmed at the wrong things. So what's the bent? Like what's the selling feature if we're, if we're uh, therapy salesmen? Uh, cause I, <laughs> cause I, I thump for it. Um, I mean, it's, it's helped me move forward in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but the, the facilitation and the advocacy that I do 
you you meet a lot of resistance but the the selling feature is kind of what perks people up like what's in it for them to put in the work because like you said it's a lot of work it takes a lot of time to emotionally regulate to learn how there's got to be a payoff that makes it worth it like how do you how do you kind of sell that how do you how do you convince people to go it's worth it to to take a step back to kind of learn this stuff i would say what are you willing to do to have a happier life you know and not even just in that but like a healthier life we know the ramifications of anxiety is just a plague on our health system yeah you know um there's a good book by gabor mate about how we can link a whole bunch of terrible you know diseases to increase stress because because what happens is if you're not you if you don't have an outlet for your emotions if you don't know how to regulate yourself your body takes care of that it just doesn't take care of it elsewhere it goes in your body and it corrodes your cells so like on a physiological level like it's you hear that stress kills anxiety kills but like literally it's it's doing damage to your body is what you're saying yeah and if you're a dad and you're not emotionally regulated and i asked you like do you yell at your kids and if they said yes i'd be like do you want to stop poisoning your kids brains because negativity um like so when i said like zero to five years old when you're yelling at those kids you are poisoning their brains that's trauma you know like when people are like oh i had an excellent childhood and i go well how lot like how much care did you get how much affection did you get how much like positive reinforcement did you get? Did you get hugs and kisses? Did you, you know, when you did something wrong, was there an appropriate punishment or were you just Mm -hmm. like ostracized in timeouts where you just yelled at and reprimanded that poisons your brain. And a lot of us are still like when we talk about attachment issues, it makes it difficult to trust people. It makes it difficult to trust authority. It makes it difficult to trust anything. And so it's like, and you can unpack that. You can unwork that. Like we know with neuroplasticity, like, you can work on your brain. It's just yes. like, phys- it's like physiotherapy, right? You know, you know, when you break your, when you tear an ACL and they're like, mm-hmm. okay, it's time to go to, phys- it's got time to go to physio. And you're like, of course, cause I want to, I want my leg to work better. I want it to get back to where it needs to be so that I can function. It's the same thing with therapy. It's just physio for your brain. Why is it so daunting for, for people who haven't, haven't done it yet? Why does it feel like such a, a project to go through that? There's a, there was a lot of negative connotations that went along with the idea of therapy, namely mm-hmm. that uh, the only reason I was thinking about it was because somewhere inside I realized that I kind of need it and I knew that it would involve unpacking unpleasant things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it took a special therapist to kind of convince me that like it's not going to be great the whole time, like it's not going to feel good the yeah. whole time but there is a payoff and there is going to be a sense of, of relief when you're done. And like, honestly, my first session, um, was very emotional for me. Uh, I told a story that I told one other person on the planet Mm -hmm. before him. Uh, there were a lot of tears. Uh, it was really ugly, but the sense of relief when I left was, was overwhelming. And then there were more tears just from the relief. Right. But I, I think that for a lot of people, it's easier to do nothing. I mean, that, that applies to a lot of situations is mm-hmm. you, you could either do work or do nothing and keep the yeah. status quo. So I get like, how do you sway that needle? Cause it's not, it doesn't take enough with words I'm finding. I, I share my story to kind of hopefully inspire others to, to know it's okay to be human. And you've been able to rewire some of the ways that I, yeah. I think about the past and that, but, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a tough sell. I just, I don't want to convince somebody that there's something wrong with them, I think is one thing I'm afraid of. So when you say mm-hmm. like, do you want a better life? Um, you know, do you want to be happier? There's this implication that your life's not that good and you're not that happy. Mm. And I think that's the way that some people, you know, will take that question, right? Yeah, I, the, I would, t- I would, yeah, I think that's a fair, that's a fair statement. I think the big thing I, I even want to take away the word happier. I think I want to say calmer. Okay. And, and then on top of that, it's not even saying that, you know, we're going to talk about grandiose better, but if I can take you from your baseline and make you even like a little bit happier, a little bit calmer in your life, mm-hmm. make you have like a healthier relationships with people. Because one thing I'm running into is a lot of people just have unhealthy relationships. Yeah. And they don't, and they don't even know what a healthy relationship looks like. 
they don't know. And so when they get into healthy relationships, it's really concerning and they run away from it a lot of the time. Isn't that kind of a good thing to remove yourself from an unhealthy relationship or like, Oh, I'm, I'm saying they run away from the healthy relationships. They're oh, like, this I is see. really, you know, like this is really uncomfortable for me. Right. You know? And, and they, they're just because what you're, what you're used to is what you stick with as a person. Yeah. That's a strange thing that we do is the familiarity will trump what we know is probably better. Yeah. You know, the, um, you know, the whole like frog and tepid water and you heat it up analogy. That's not real. Frogs will just jump out of hot water because you know, their systems work in a way that keeps them safe. Right. People though, if you put someone in a somewhat toxic environment and I slowly turn up the toxicity, they'll stay because we adjust, especially because we don't understand how mental health works. Mm -hmm. We don't understand boundaries and we're just, we don't have the societal support systems to engage and support those people. A lot of people struggle to find a good therapist that they're comfortable with. And then on top of that, therapy is expensive. Yes. That's the second thing. So that's an issue. And then on top of that, even more is therapy continues to maintain that mental health is a private issue. What do you mean by that? So when you go to a therapist, you know, and obviously we're talking about confidentiality and obviously you don't want your story shared everywhere. Yeah. But it's all behind closed doors and secret. The only way for a society to function and engage in mental health conversations properly is if it's out in the open. And we know that it's community that is the most powerful support system. And so when it's like, go see a therapist, there's all these barriers because they go, okay, where do I start even? I go log on to psychology today. There's a Mm -hmm. billion therapists to pick from. It's overwhelming. And then I don't even know what their theories mean, if that's even good for me. Right. And and then I got to spend $200 on average to go see someone Yeah. in private. And then there's sometimes, and then there's so much shame involved in doing something in private that they just, they'll go one time and never go back. I canceled my first two therapy appointments. I didn't even mm. go, but I, like yeah. I made them yeah. and that, 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 <laughs> that, was, that was a win. And then I didn't go. I went the third time. There's a lot I want to like touch on there, but yeah, absolutely. I got lucky with a therapist who I clicked with. Yeah. Um, one, one of the biggest things that I advocate for is to, to interview your therapist and to mm-hmm. really get a sense of who they are. Um, as far as my project with Vive and, and the resources that I want to create, part of that will be hopefully um, to find therapists like yourself to uh, sort of humanize uh, yourself in a mm-hmm. professional way so that people can find you and f- and get a sense of who you are as a human being um, because that connection is, I believe is so important. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is we know in the research, like 60 to 70% of all the benefits that come from a therapy, from therapy is the relationship. Yeah. There's nothing more powerful for the human condition than healthy relationships. Yeah, it all ties back into that. I mean, yeah. just, just the, yeah, uh, not just the, the tools that are uh, shared by the therapist to the, to the client, but, yeah, it's ha- it's yeah. having that safe human. Like it, yeah. it's really important. That that's how I got started in all of this, right? Like it's uh, yeah. people reaching out and going, yeah, you just seem like a safe person to like share <laughs> yeah. this with. And yeah. I, I I don't take that lightly. Like that's a that's a gift mm-hmm. when somebody kind of gives opens up to you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's the the relationship's important, and that's even mm-hmm. with the emotional regulation. When I say it's both people, yes, have to or even the group, and then you can keep expanding. But if everyone continues to exist, like our emotions don't control us or don't have impacts on us, or we don't have ways to work with these emotions, then we'll continue to go through these cycles of like very extreme conversations. So like individualism comes into play a lot in these uh, one-on-one interactions. Like I'm going back to kind of like the online Mm -hmm. um, back and forth on, on social media. What is the importance of, of being to, to having an identity um, and when it, when does it become a toxic trait or does it, is there, is there a balance where it's important to stand by your values and beliefs? And is there, is there an, an importance to kind of removing an individualism to, to facilitate better conversations? I think, I think you can be individualistic. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think the more important thing is we need to teach people that they're, they're fat, like they're fallible, that you, you can be wrong. And you can change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I remember all that 
you know, these stuff where it's like, you know, if you can't have me at my worst, you can't have me at my best kind of things that were going on. And people who just strongly believe that that's just who they are. And that's it. There's no more work to be done. Mm-hmm. And I find if people are more accepting to the fact that like they can change and that their ideas are going to change and their like their emotions are going to change, their lifestyle is going to change, who they are is going to change. But people don't seem to want to acknowledge that. People think that who they are when they're born is who they are till they die. And that's it. There's a lot of people that fit in that camp. And that's why the discussion around genetics and psychology is sometimes problematic because it's like, well, I have this condition and it's because of genetics. And you're like, well, actually probably not, you know, and there's work that can be done to help you live a life that these that help you manage a lot of these things. And that's not me saying that pharmacotherapy, like using medications isn't necessary because it is very yeah. necessary. It's very important, but there's a lot of things that can be done to help people feel calmer, to work on who they are and their identity and their associations to other people. Because if you're going on the internet and just slandering people, I'm going to say that like, what's your life like? Yeah. That, that gave me some thought. Uh, it also put a few, people in my mind that uh that i'm like well i would love i would love it if they were sitting in on this conversation as well (laughs) to kind of hear it um so i want to speak personally again Mm -hmm. um at the very beginning of the podcast you mentioned imposter syndrome and uh part of my personal journey it's funny because i always wanted to i always thought i had a pretty good sense of who i was i had a lot of things to identify with like i i was pretty good hockey I play guitar. Anyway, I had all these things that like made me, me idea wise. I feel very susceptible to the idea that I kind of have to, how do I put this always not changing my idea, but to, to be very fluid with them. And I've, I've struggled to hold on to values where there's a part of me deep down. That's like, I really believe this. But every time I say it out loud, I get pushback or I get um, challenged, which is fine. But I'm constantly questioning whether I'm on the right side of issues. Mm -hmm. And I know from talking to other people that they've struggled with this too. And I've been called a people pleaser. I've been called a virtue signaler. I've been called all sorts Mm -hmm. of names where on one hand, I'm just eager to learn about something. Mm -hmm. And, And on the other, I would love to express... I want to, I want to say why I feel a certain way and I can't because I'm, I'm gauging what everybody else is kind of saying and it, I struggle with it. I don't know how to reconcile what that means Mm because I feel like it's a product of me being empathetic. It's a product of me, honestly, uh, liking it when, when people approve like that validation, right? Yeah. So it's something I've identified there as well. And I know that it's hard on people because they feel like if they do speak up, they're not going to get interpreted the way that they want. They, they don't have the words yet, or they say the wrong thing, but mean the right thing. Mm -hmm. How does somebody like that fit in the social discourse? Because you want to have a safe place where you put yourself out there. And even if your idea is challenged and, or somebody corrects you on vernacular, like the way you said it or whatever how can we kind of create like a safe haven for that? Yeah. I don't know. I think the reality of it is, can that be done on social media? I wonder, like I really do. Like I'll be, yeah, I'll be really honest. Like my personal journey has been long and, you know, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I am a completely different person than I was 10 years ago. You know, the amount of work that's been done and all of my learning has come from, meeting people who have put me in my place and in person though. Yeah. They put me in my place in person and then I was able to go and okay. And then I could go and research and look this stuff up and challenge my own perspective, but that it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happens is that I was really lucky because I wasn't shamed for the mistakes that I made. And shame is a very powerful emotion because what we do when we're shamed is we'll just go fine. And you stonewall where you go, fine, you're not going to get anything from me. Right. Yeah. That's not healthy either. No, because that's, and that's what happens with a lot of these, you know, with a lot of things is that people who are lagging behind, they don't know how to catch up because they're scared or worried about putting in that work. 
and asking those questions because they're worried about getting pooped on. Yeah. No, use that term. But the reality of it is that in order to get that work done to catch up is you have to put yourself out there a little bit and you don't have to put an opinion out there, but you can ask questions and just make sure that you're not, and and you don't have to ask questions of people in those situations because we don't want to ask of emotional labor of people. Right. And it's like, you have access to the internet. You, there's tons of great, if, if people want, you want like interesting stuff on any issue, I'll send you a YouTube vlogger who can just blow your brains out with like yeah. the most interesting topics and just interesting way of looking at the world. If I were to push back on you a little bit, and I've account, I've encountered this on online, is that I really appreciate hearing another human with with that experience. I like to be educated by a person sometimes, and mm-hmm. I understand that uh, it's important to to put in the work because then it's valuable to you, and mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be put on someone else to educate you yeah. if they are like you know a part of a marginalized group. But I, I am going to be honest that it is impactful when someone takes the time to do that for me. And I, yeah. I, I appreciate it. It's not, it's not out of my laziness. It's because uh, it's, it's meaningful to me. And yeah. I think uh, like a lot of people feel that way as well. And I understand the other side of it because if I, you know, people ask me about uh, my PTSD, I have night terrors and I've done threads on them and I've, you know, I've opened up enough it's out there if they want to hear my take on PTSD. I feel like there's a middle ground there. I, it's it's tough to, I don't want to yeah. both sides this argument, but. It's contextual. And I think that is sometimes taken out of the discussion. It is contextual. You know, sometimes, and also sometimes you're in a place where you're in a good emotional state to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I don't, maybe you had a bad sleep and you wake up and you're like, there is nothing I want to talk about less than night terrors today because I just had a bunch. Right. And so there's contextual and it's also like, who's the person on the other side? And, and then on top of that, are you doing your own work? Because I, again, I, I've been very lucky with people who have given me emotional labor, but they'll give me a tidbit and I go, oh, okay. And then I go look up that thing. And then I go back and mm-hmm. I'm like, can we talk about this? Like in a deeper context, you know, like let's, let's, and then like, let's actually have like a discussion about the thing, not your personal experience. It's I've learned this thing. Now we discuss and then if I say something that's maybe offhand, which, you know, and sometimes people do say things because they haven't had the same life experience. Everyone grew up differently. You know, like I grew up in a very like homogeneously white community that was very Christian. That was the, that was my upbringing. And to become more accepted, to become accepting of these things took a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of people and interactions and therapy. And the reality of it is that no one starts, you know, on this journey without criticism. It just doesn't. And so you have to, you have to be willing to be like, you know what? Yeah, I made a mistake. And I think that is also lacking because it goes back to my whole discussion about, you know, you're fallible. You make mistakes. You're a human being. And your story sometimes is distorted. It's just not real. That, that's something I struggle with, too, is is owning uh, my mistakes and that uh I go, I go far enough the other way. I, I think I'm too hard on myself sometimes for being fallible and mm-hmm. human because I'm just, I'm not that quiet mm-hmm. um, because I'm an emotional, passionate person, which I'll bring it back full circle uh, to kind of wrap this up back into emotional <laughs> regulation, how to be a passionate person and, and, uh, and use my emotions mm-hmm. for good and not, uh, not one to, for the detriment of my own mental health, but two to shame or put down others or ostracize anyone else uh, just because I'm fired up about about mm-hmm. something that means something mm-hmm. to me. I'm seeking that balance. I'm more cognizant now than ever, now that I'm I'm doing work in, in the mental health field, that I have an online presence that uh, that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, I, I have enough of a platform now that I'd like to do some good. And I can look back on whatever 30,000 tweets <laughs> and find plen- plenty mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm like, I really wish I didn't mm-hmm. go there, you know, but I, I really beat myself up over that. And I, I'm reminded of them. I'm put in my place too, which it is yeah. what it is. It's, yeah. it's fine. You know, I'll work yeah. through that, but it is uncomfortable. And I think teaching people how to be uncomfortable is, is important. Uh, just like critical thinking and uh and emotional regulation yeah. right like we have to put in that work 
I, I am happier because I'm, I'm curious yeah. about this and because I'm going through it, it's not easy. And I think it's important to be honest mm -hmm. about that, but it is, there is like a real payoff to this, I think. And, uh, I, I want to know what you're going to do next. Cause you just said like you, you left yeah. teaching and I know that you're, you have a lot of big ideas on how to get, uh, mental health resources to mm -hmm. people. Uh, and you mentioned a lot about access, like financial access and, and things like that, finding the right fit. So what, what are your plans? What do you want to do next? And where do you want to go? <laughs> oh, um, that's a Just dream, dream for me. Yeah. So the dream is to become registered, um, as a psychologist in Alberta, which is going to take some time and mm -hmm. uh, open my own private practice and work on <laughs> becoming a more accessible profession and also promoting the decolonization of this profession. You know, psychology is a predominantly white male industry. And, you know, people will be like, well, you know, like majority of people who are psychologists are women, and that's true. But, but all of the founders of psychology, all of the theorists of it are white dudes who have stolen ideas off the backs of minoritized groups across the globe. Right. So like when I talked about deep breathing, you know, people be like mindfulness based therapy. It's like, man, you stole that from Buddhism. Right. You know, we looked at interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so even like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that's stolen from Blackfoot culture. It was just changed to wow. be more focused on the individual instead of the community. And so psychology has lost its footing in working with these groups because most people, when they go see a therapist, it's just another, it's a white person across from them. And how are you going to talk about these systemic issues that are plaguing you, like racism, homophobia, if the person across from you doesn't get it? And a lot of people, there's some really cool research out there on people, I shouldn't call it cool, but interesting research where people are saying like they leave their therapist because they have to, they have to put emotional labor into their therapist to walk them through the things that they are going through. You can, yeah, you can't have that. You know, you look at places like, um, oh, the Africa Center, right? Like, what a great system where people who can, you know, you want to talk about race, you want to go see someone who's a who's like you across the way, who you don't have to explain mm -hmm. racism to. That's huge. You know, we have the Pride Center in Edmonton, where you know, a good section of the people who can go and get free therapy there. You know, you're talking to someone who's engaged or had conversations or is involved in the 2S LGBTQ plus community because right. representation matters and representation matters in our therapists too. And that conversation is also being lost. And so really wanting to, and I know like, again, I, I acknowledge my privilege, but if I can get into a situation where I can do some good with my platform where I am sitting with my privilege, then there's something to be said about that. And I don't know if that's toxic. I don't know if that's, you know, in saying that. I think you're, you're pretty clear in, in your intent with, uh, everything that you just said. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm the same thing. I share the same privilege and, uh, it's a whole different thing to navigate. Um, but I think everything that you just said is, is impactful and, and there should be some work put into that in all of those communities because representation, it's part of that human connection that we were talking about. It's part of it, The end game is to mm -hmm. heal people and, and to help unpack you need that connection yeah. and whatever that looks like and whatever that takes, um, we should be reaching out to every corner of every community yeah. that, that we can to be like, Hey, we need you on this team yeah. too. So there's like inclusion within in inclusion. Um, your, your profession is really unique and you seem really aware of, of kind of what's there and what mm -hmm. isn't. So I'm excited to kind of see what, what you can do mm -hmm. with that it's it's an uphill battle i don't think it's impossible though i just think it, it at least the awareness needs to get out there and i'm uh i'm happy to help amplify <laughs> that too i've 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 run into it as well and, yeah um, yeah um, and i mean i'm also going to be building uh sessions and stuff like that for trauma-informed teaching because i'm i i don't think i'll ever leave teaching i don't think it's just possible i you know I loved being a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching is a wonderful tool. So like what, what is trauma therapy? Let's touch on that before oh, we go. Uh, so just trauma informed teaching will be focusing on understanding how trauma impacts learning. 
and just things that you can do as a teacher to be more engaged and understanding of how trauma impacts the behavior of your students and how you, who needs to be unfortunately the emotionally regulated adult in the room, because kids have a heightened sense of emotions, which shocking, I know, but there is a really good quote where it said, you know, kids swim in the pools of our emotions. That's why kid. That's why when wow. someone walks in who's unregulated, when you're a kid, you just know. Like when you're being fake and you're uncomfortable because you're being fake in front of kids, they just know. Right. They just know. They just. Their intuition through is the roof. Incredible. It is yeah. through the roof. I mean, I I sit with a guitar across from kids, uh, just for half an hour. But like they, I, this is a whole tangent, <laughs> Justin, but. I've never felt more seen than in the company yeah. of a child, honestly. And I, I bet every parent has felt that too. And, and uh, like we were discussing way back, like three hours ago, <laughs> how, how some of that is taught out of kids, I think is a big yeah. problem. Yeah, again, it goes back to like, don't be emotional. Don't think about your emotions. Just be intellectual. But we know that's not real. Right. That's why, you know, test anxiety is a thing because they don't understand that they're anxious and that when you're anxious, you lose yeah. complete connection to all these things that you need to do for your exam. And where does that come from? And I will argue it's usually trauma. And for other people, there's like other mental conditions, obviously, but it's usually trauma. So then how can you change your teaching, how you assess to better serve that kid? I love it. Yeah. Do that. (laughs) Do that. I will support that any way I can. Uh, Why not all of it? We'll do all of it. (laughs) We'll do all of it. We'll just, we'll just change the world. Yeah, Justin, thank you so much uh, for this conversation today. We we went everywhere, but I hope uh, when I listen back to it, it, it had some cohesiveness yeah, to it. Yeah, it was a huge jumble, but I don't I don't <laughs> think it was. But it was uh, it was all important. Um, I'd love to have you back sometime so we could kind of dive more into this. And but I really appreciate like how thoughtful and, and candid you are. And uh, yeah, we'll chat again soon. We'll have a beer yeah, sometime awesome. and <laughs> keep trying to so- solve the world's problems. Awesome, thank you. And to you, the listener, I just want to say thank you. Without your support, this podcast isn't possible. If you're interested in supporting the Vive Mental Health Podcast, you can do so in a few ways. First, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe on the platform that you're listening to right now. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leaving a comment and a review goes a really long way. So if you could take a moment to do that, I would love you forever. Second, if you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and followers. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out. Third, if you'd like to donate to Vive Mental Health, you can do so by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash vivementalhealth or through buymeacoffee.com, which is a great way to make a one-time donation. I want to add as well that all of the money raised goes into making these podcasts and towards the Vive Mental Health Initiative which I use to connect with various resources and nonprofits to help with mental health and communities, real boots on the ground kind of stuff. I'll be doing some shoutouts in future episodes as well, so keep an ear out for a heartfelt thank you from me. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, send us an email at podcast at vivementalhealth.com. We would love to hear from you. With that, you can find everything related to Vive on our website, vivementalhealth.com as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at Vive Mental Health, as well as Facebook, YouTube, and even LinkedIn. We're everywhere. I go to great lengths to ensure that the information and resources that I share with you are well-vetted and researched, but before you take any of my advice, please consult with a health professional to ensure that you're getting the best care for your specific needs. You can email me personally as well. I love hearing from listeners, and I'll always reply back at chris, K-R-I-S, at vivementalhealth.com with show ideas, comments, questions, whatever you like. Always love hearing from you. So take care of yourself. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you again soon.